and son for that uh, long reading from the Gospel of John. And uh, it's good to see you again this morning. Thanks for the invitation to be here. I always enjoy coming to participate and worship together with you. And it's a great atmosphere and great to be amongst God's people. We just uh, recently got back on Friday from our holiday in, in BC. And uh, one of the highlights is uh, when we were uh, leaving Jasper, uh, it was kind of showering off and on, and there was this beautiful rainbow that appeared in the sky almost the whole way back from Jasper, and it was just fantastic. First, it's part of the rainbow, and then a little bit more, and then on both sides, and then the whole thing was just a magnificent a display of God's glory in nature. And I trust you've had a chance to experience God's glory in nature uh, this summer and hopefully in the days ahead too as the colors change and we experience the beauty of God's creation. So this morning's message is from the Gospel of John chapter 9 and uh, perhaps you have heard this saying or maybe you even said it yourself, I'll believe it when I see it. Maybe some examples. If you heard, heard someone say, well, in this upcoming election, the Green Party of Canada is going to win a majority government, you would probably say, I'll believe it when I see it. Or perhaps, this team has won the Stanley Cup in 2022, and for the next five years, the Maple Leafs or the Oilers, you'll probably say, well, I'll believe that when I see it, right? Or perhaps, a spaceship from outer space lands at an electric fueling station in Mill Woods in Edmonton before taking off again. You'd probably say, well, I'll believe it when I see it, right? Well, this morning we read about a remarkable healing and how this story caused a great stir in that place. It's a story of the man born blind who was healed by Jesus. And this amazing miracle, obviously the word got around quickly and it caused quite a bit of commotion. And certainly, if this was to happen today, it would get a lot of media attention. And not only is this healing a very interesting story, but it highlights some of the main themes of the Gospel of John, such, such as, who is this Jesus? What is his identity? It also speaks about correct theology. Another theme is that of faith and the decision that people have to make. Who is this Jesus? Can I believe in him? Is he truly the son of God? Or is he not truly the son of God? And we have to make a choice. That's another theme of the Gospel of John. Another thing that we see in this passage is one of the statements by Jesus where he says, I am. And in the Gospel of John, uh, he mentioned seven I am statements by Jesus. How many of you can you remember? There's the, I'll help you refresh your memory, but maybe you can see how many of them you can uh, remember. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. Two other ones, anybody want to help me out? Light of the world, this was in this passage, right? And another one, the resurrection and the life. The seven I am statements. So in chapter 8, 
Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then again here in chapter 9, he says, I am the light of the world. Another thing that we see in this uh, passage, that this is the, so he had, John has seven I am statements. And then he also has seven, he records seven miracles. But they're actually not called miracles in the Gospel of John. They're called signs because they point to the identity of Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God. And this is the sixth of the seven signs of the miracles of Jesus. So we see that this book of the Gospel of John has a very uh, good structure, the seven signs and the seven I am statements. And besides these statements and these seven signs, John also uses certain dualisms, two uh, comparisons. This is a, a literary technique that he uses throughout this gospel. And we notice some of them here in, in the gospel of, uh, in this chapter and in other recent chapters. I'm just going to highlight a few of them. For example, he talks about uh, being from above and being from below. He talks about the children of God in comparison to the children of the devil. He talks about freedom and slavery, truth and lies, light and darkness, blind and seeing, faith and unbelief. So in this chapter, we see some of those dualisms that he has introduced in his gospel. So this is truly an amazing story. And I'd like this morning just to, see, uh, to, to highlight a few of the things and to see what we can learn about them for our own spiritual lives. Well, the story starts out with Jesus correcting some bad theology. And unfortunately, there has been a lot of bad theology throughout the ages. And it can be very detrimental, obviously. A couple of examples for us. It was taught that black people don't have souls and thus slavery is permissible. It was taught the health and wealth gospel, that God promises to bless all Christians with perfect health and with wealth because you are, uh, uh, Christians are the children of a rich king. It has been taught that all believers must speak in tongues to have the Holy Spirit. It has been taught that you have to earn God's favor in, uh, by being perfect and by, by serving. This is uh, illustrated, it's not part of the Bible, obviously, but from the movie The Sound of Music, you might remember the song Something Good, that uh, the two main characters sing to each other. They say, this is the line, the quote, something in my youth or my childhood, I must have done something good. Well, that's just uh, Hollywood and bad theology as well. But some people believe that to be true. And it is possible that we ourselves may hold some beliefs about God, either consciously or unconsciously or subconsciously that are not correct or not healthy. And to have correct beliefs, we do need to thoroughly study God's word with the help of the Holy Spirit to have correct theology. But the bad theology in this chapter, John, is the, is the belief that this man is blind due to the sin of either the blind man or of his parents. Bad things happen, this is the idea, that bad things happen due to sin or evil. And this was a very common view in that day, and even often in, this, in our day today. But can you imagine the stigma and the emotional burden because of this bad theology? 
Can you imagine the mother thinking, oh, it wasn't me who sinned. It must have been my husband who sinned. I wonder what he did. He's not telling me, or vice versa. The father's thinking, well, my wife must have been a terrible sinner. She must have done something terrible. I don't know what it was, but she hasn't told me. Can you imagine what that might do to a relationship? And what, what about the people in the community? Oh, I wonder what kind of sin they did. Hey, right? So all of a sudden, the community's looking at them a little bit, you know, different. And then the son growing up, who sinned? Was it my mom? Was it my dad who sinned? What did they do? I wonder what they did. That was so bad that I'm born blind. And it was even thought that one could even sin in the womb. So people would have thought, well, I wonder what he did in the womb that, that was so bad that he was born blind. Everyone's thinking, who sinned? You know, it's hard enough to deal with a physical disability, a physical handicap, especially something so severe as being born blind, let alone to have all this extra emotional baggage of guilt and shame. And I'm wondering that, that their relationship with God also might have been strained, perhaps blaming God for what had happened to their son and him, what has happened to me. There was a, at a church that I was pastoring a while back, there was uh, a person who was born blind because they were very uh, premature in their, in their birth. And the mother struggled a lot with feelings of, of guilt and that she had somehow done something wrong. And it certainly affected her mental health and her relationships because of a false belief. Now, it is true that some sickness may be the result of sin as a natural consequence of sin or as a judgment. In fact, we actually see this in John chapter 5, verse 14, where Jesus himself implies, remember the story of the invalid who was waiting by the pool to go into the, the water when the waters were troubled? And then Jesus comes along and heals that man. And then Jesus says something interesting to him after that healing. He says, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. So there is times where a consequence of sin could be judgment. And there's also very, uh, a general biblical principle. In fact, one of the main themes of the Old Testament is if you obey God and you live a righteous life, and God will bless you. That is a general principle. And the other side of the coin is, if you disobey God, and you are unrighteous, you are evil, then God will judge you. That is a theme of Scripture. However, to say that all sickness is a judgment or a consequence of sin is not only inhumane, it is also wrong theology. And this is not a new heresy of that Bible time, because remember uh, of, this, of the New Testament, remember the story of Job. Job was a righteous man, but yet he lost his wealth, he lost his family, he lost his health. And why? Well, all of his friends, the community that came around and says, well, Job, all this bad stuff happened to you because you sinned. You disobeyed God. Confess your sin. And everybody thought that, except Job, because he knew that he had not done those things, that he was not worthy of such treatment. Now, we don't know the reasons why bad things happen. Job certainly, according to the story, never got the reason. 
God never explained to him why. I mean, we understand the story because we saw the behind the scenes of God and Satan's uh, discussion there. But Job never got that story. So the reason that negative things happen to people and even good people remains a mystery. We just don't know. This man and his parents lived for many years without knowing the reason for his blindness. Now Jesus actually explains the reason for this. We see this in verse 3. Jesus corrects this bad theology. He says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. God's purpose in this was that Jesus would be glorified, that God would be glorified, and Jesus would be demonstrated to be the Messiah, the Son of God. This was actually, the, the, the blind people receiving their sight was the sign of the Messianic age. This was prophesied a couple of times in the book of Isaiah. And I'm just going to read one of the passages here. In Isaiah chapter 42, he's talking about the Messiah, the coming Messiah. It says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. Goes on to say, He will open the eyes that are blind to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. So this was one of the messianic prophecies that the eyes of the blind would be opened. So Jesus is saying, I'm the Messiah. The gospel writer is saying, Jesus is the Messiah. He can open the blinded eyes. So we see here that the work of God was displayed in his life. And a question comes, can the works of God be displayed in the lives of the handicapped? Well, of course. Look at the example of the Apostle Paul himself. Remember how he, was, had, he talks about having the thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what it was, but most people think it was some kind of a physical disability. And yet Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God's power and grace are demonstrated in the midst of sickness and suffering. You all probably are familiar with the story of Joni Erickson Toda, who, as a young lady, I think she was still in her teens, had a swimming accident and when she was diving into the water, and she became a paraplegic. And uh, she was also wondering, God, why did this happen to me? Why, why, why? But if you know her story, she's become a very outspoken person, a very uh, exceptional artist, just by using her mouth, painting with her, putting the paintbrush in her mouth. And she's been a, a great testimony of how God's glory and power can be demonstrated in the life of someone, especially with a disability. So the question is for us as well. How is the work of God being displayed in your life? How is the work of God being displayed in your life? And when should this happen? 
We notice here in verse 4, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus is saying, now is the time to work. Now is the time to display God's glory in your life. And we have many, many opportunities to do that. Many were read here this morning. Help out with Alpha. Help out with children's ministry. Help out in different ways. You know, support Dennis in his run. We can all be a part of God's kingdom, of being a light in this world. We can display the glory of God through our works, through our actions, as we serve our families, as we volunteer in the community, as we volunteer to serve in the church, as we greet people in the church, we can display the glory of God through our actions, through our attitudes. As Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. I trust throughout this week and the days ahead that we will reflect the light of Jesus through our works and through our deeds. Well, we see that Jesus sends this man to the pool called Siloam, meaning sent. And I don't think that's any coincidence in John's gospel here because Jesus is the sent one coming down from heaven to reveal the Father. We as believers are also sent ones we are to be in this world as lights to shine the truth. God has given all believers this task of being sent. Jesus says, I am sending you to make disciples of all nations. We are all on mission for God's glory. As we see here in your motto, to be bolder, bolder witnesses for Jesus Christ. Now, I'm wondering what, can you just imagine, I like to, to use my imagination when I read scriptures, but can you imagine this blind man all of a sudden being able to see after never having seen in his life? What? That's what a tree looks like. Oh, a bird. Amazing. That's what a person looks like. Mom, Dad, that's what you look like. You're amazing. I didn't know you were so homely. No. <laughs> but can you just imagine? Never having seen, and then all of a sudden, exploring, having sight for the very, very first time. Wow, what a, what a revelation that might be, that must have been. To see a beautiful sunset, to see that rainbow in the sky, how amazing. I had a bit of a small taste of this uh, as a child, actually. Uh, my, my eyesight is very, very poor, and thanks for modern technology, they can make lenses skinnier, because when I was a kid, you know, my lenses were about like this thick. Well, not quite, but, uh, but they were pretty bad. And I remember uh, this experience when I was in grade two. Uh, we had a health nurse that would come to the school, and uh, they would give inoculations, and uh, they would also do a little eye exam. And you might remember this when you were in, in school. So we got there, and I was, you know, there was a couple of kids before me, and uh, they were getting their eyes tested. And, you know, they put the chart out there, and you're supposed to read the alphabet, and this first kid wasn't doing so good, and the, the second kid wasn't reading this alphabet very good, and it was my turn, and, and I wasn't reading the alphabet very good, I'll tell you that much, and she was upset. She thought that we were making this up and just pulling a trick on her because we couldn't read. So she was scolding me, and she says, you kids in this school are so stupid, I'm going to take away these letters, I'm going to give you numbers instead. You guys can't read the alphabet. So she put on this number chart and she says, now read this. 
And I'm going, oh, yeah, yeah. And, then, and then she realized it wasn't because we were trying to make fun of her or play a joke on her. It was just because we couldn't see. <laughs> we needed glasses. And so she apologized. Oh, I'm sorry for calling you kids stupid. And, and you guys just, you know, go to the eye doctor. She wrote a note, get to the eye doctor. And, and sure enough, off I went to the, to the eye doctor. And I got some glasses. And oh, boy, was that a revelation. Not everything was blurry. And I remember our family was a fairly large church, and we sat at the back because we have families with small kids were sitting at the back. And I thought, I had my glasses. Oh, look at there, the pastor at the front. He has glasses too. You know, it was just a new revelation for me on some things because I could actually see. We also have not only physical sight, but spiritual sight. And uh, I grew up in a church, and I was exposed to, to much light, and I thank God for that. And I received spiritual sight at a very young age. But a person who receives spiritual sight as an adult, can, it can be a really amazing revelation and a great change. Think of the example of, of Saul, who became the Apostle Paul. Here he was, hating Christians, persecuting them, not believing that Jesus was the Messiah. And all of a sudden, he gets this spiritual light, this encounter with Jesus, and he realizes, oh no, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He did resurrect from the dead. And I've been killing Christians. I've been persecuting his followers. And from the persecutor, he became persecuted. But what a radical change. He had to change his whole theology, his whole perspective on life. And I'm sure maybe this is true for some of you that you became a Christian as an adult and you had to change a lot of things about your worldview, about who Jesus was, about your values, about family, about your interests, about how you use your money, how you use your time. And for many people, it's a radical change from light, from, sorry, from darkness to light. It's just a new perspective. The light has come. The darkness is gone. Jesus truly is the light of the world. And I trust everyone here who is listening has received Jesus as the light in your own life. And that promise and that hope is offered to all. If you're living in darkness, come to the light. Come to Jesus. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. And you can walk in the light and have a new perspective. Be a new creature in Jesus Christ. And here we see the response of the Pharisees. And rather than rejoicing and celebrating in this amazing miracle, this great, uh, this wonderful display of God's glory, they were upset. They were confused because the miracle took place on the Sabbath. They thought, well, this guy, he must either be a sinner or from God. But because Jesus healed a, a man born blind on the Sabbath, he can't be God. He can't, he can't be right. He must be a sinner. Their legalism and their narrow and incorrect theology blinded them from seeing the truth and beauty of a divine miracle. And the best remedy, obviously, for legalism and judgmentalism is grace. First, recognizing the grace that we have received and then extending it to others. At times, we may put God in a box and think that he can only act and behave in a certain way. Or we care more about the, the rules and norms than we do about people. For example, it could be that people are clearly living sinful lives and they begin to seek God's truth and they start even coming to church. How do we respond and how do we react to them? 
How should we treat them? Do we judge them? Do we condemn them? Do we say, well, you can't live that kind of a lifestyle? Do we treat them with suspicion and as outcasts? Or rather, do we treat them and accept them and love them as Jesus would and teach them about God's offer of grace and offer of forgiveness upon repentance? And I think you all know of stories of people who have come to the light and they've been loved well into the kingdom of God. And I trust that this church will continue to do that as well, to love people into the kingdom of God. Another thing that we see from this passage is the importance and the power of a testimony. This blind man obviously was not educated. He couldn't see, so he couldn't learn to read. He was not a great theologian. He had not gone to, to school. But yet he had encountered the living Christ. And he had experienced Christ's power. His simple story was, as he says it in verse 25, I once was blind, but now I see. I've encountered Jesus. Jesus has made a difference in my life. There's that song, Amazing Grace, written by John Newton, who was a former slave trader, who then had an encounter with Jesus, and his life was completely transformed, and he became a pastor. And he wrote in those famous words of that famous song, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. We may not be able to debate with atheists or Muslims or Jews or people from other faiths, but we can all share our experience with Jesus. I was once a sinner. I was once in darkness, but now I'm saved. I'm living in the light. And I encourage all of us to take opportunities to share our experience with Jesus with others. From this chapter, we can also learn some other spiritual truths that are evident in other passages of scriptures. The first one here is, we are spiritually blind from birth, and we need the light of God's truth in Jesus. In Romans chapter 1, verse 21, Paul writes, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Paul also writes in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There are only two options, darkness and light. Another thing that we see is that seeing isn't always believing. These leaders saw a great miracle that should have convinced them about who Jesus was, that he truly was a Messiah. But yet, even though they saw it with their own eyes, they didn't believe it. Truly, the heart can be very hardened, and the darkness can be very great. Jesus told the story in Luke chapter 16. Remember the story of the rich man and the poor man, the beggar Lazarus? and how they both died, and the poor man went to heaven, and Lazarus was being tormented in, in hell. And the, the rich man says, he asks, please, uh, he says to Abraham, send this poor man Lazarus back to warn my brothers about this place where I'm at, so that they won't come here. And then the reply of Abraham, he says, 
If they did not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. So we see that sometimes hearts can be very hardened. Just because someone sees something doesn't mean that they're going to necessarily believe it. Another thing that we see in this passage is that there are repercussions of coming to faith. Now, the blind man's parents, they were afraid of the leaders because they knew that if they were going to say, oh yeah, Jesus did this and all that, that they would be excommunicated. They would be kicked out of the synagogue. And the synagogue was their main, like their community center, not only a place of worship, but also like their, uh, their place of activities and connectedness in their community. So they, oh, ask him, ask him. They were not willing to stand up for Jesus. But yet the blind man, he was. He acknowledged Jesus was the Christ. And he, they did kick him out of the synagogue. In verse 34, it mentions this, that he was hated by others. The Bible says that Christ will cause division between people. Either you're in darkness or light, those things cause divisions and tensions. And the fact that people are persecuted is very, very evident today in many parts of the world. People who are convert from Islam or Judaism or other religions are often ostracized from their families or even they're threatened with death. And we see the situation in Afghanistan. They are very uh, fearful, the believers there, because of the takeover by the Taliban. And what's going to happen to them now? In our country, it's not a very high cost to be a Christian, but in many countries it is. And we should pray for our believers, our fellow believers in other countries where there is much persecution. Another th thing that we see in this passage is that faith is a progressive journey. First of all, we see that he encounters Jesus, and then he obeys him. He goes to the pool and washes. Uh, first of all, he says, oh, he says, well, he was asked, who did this? He says, well, it's a man named Jesus. Then later on in verse 17, he says, well, he, he must be a prophet. And then he testifies more, and he says, well, he opened my eyes. And he says in verse 30 that he's from God. And later on, he begins to defend Jesus. And then finally, Jesus meets him again. I thought that's kind of curious how Jesus goes and finds and looks for him, right? And uh, has that conversation with him. And then he accepts and believes in Jesus. And if you look back at your own story, I'm sure many of you could attest to the fact that your, your faith journey was a progression. And then finally, that you, after many different steps, that you finally came to say yes to Jesus and to receive him as your Savior into your life. And not only, uh, what, not only is our coming to Christ a progression, but also our Christian life is to be a progression as well. And I just read, read and have been reading and over the holidays reading this book called Mansions of the Heart. And it talks about the different stages of our, of our Christian spiritual journey. And we're all on this spiritual journey together, aren't we? And we go from different stage to different stage. And I encourage all of us to continue on that journey, not to give up, but rather to seek to know Jesus more and to love him more and to serve him more, as even your church motto talks about, going, going deeper with God. We don't just stay stagnant where we are in our relationship, but we are to grow in our relationship and our love and knowledge and service for Jesus. And finally, we also see that God can change our lives. Our present doesn't have to be our future. This blind man, he thought that he would always be blind. He knew, what, knew nothing else. He was born blind, he expected to be blind the rest of his life, but something happened. He had an encounter with Jesus, and he was no longer blind, not physically, 
nor spiritually because he had an encounter with Jesus. When people encounter Jesus, they can be changed. Their past doesn't have to dictate their future. Our past does not have to dictate our future. Before coming to Christ, we were, the Bible says that we are lost, that we are condemned, that we are in darkness, that we are separated from God, that we are under the judgment of God. But through faith in Jesus, we can be forgiven. We are saved. We are redeemed. We are reconciled. We are brought into the light. We, have, we are new creatures in Christ. As believers, at times, we can be confused. We can have doubts. But that can be our past. But our future can be trust and confidence and assurance. We may be anxious and fearful, but we can become trustful and confident. Perhaps some, of, some people are bound in addictive thoughts or behaviors, but we, through the power of Christ, can be set free. The gospel is a message of hope because Jesus has the power to change us, to redeem us so that we can live as new creatures, no longer slaves to sin and to our past life. Our past life does not need to dictate our future. So in conclusion, I just want to challenge us with a few questions. How is the work of God being displayed in our lives? How is the work of God being displayed in our lives? Next, what is your testimony of experiencing Jesus? And are you looking for opportunities to share your experience with Jesus with others? And finally, how are you progressing in your faith journey with Jesus? Are you loving him more? Are you seeking to know him better? Or are you seeking to serve him more faithfully? Let's take a moment to pray first silently, and then I will say a prayer. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the light of the world, and we just worship you and adore you for that. Thank you, Lord, that you have rescued us out of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of your Son, in whom there is great light. I pray, Lord, that we would truly be able to shine our light so that others also might be able to praise and glorify you. So make this true in our lives this day and throughout the weeks and, and months ahead. For your name's sake and for your honor and your glory. Amen.